We cross now to Australia. Jeff Parks joins us, Kiwi journalist and author who follows rugby very, very closely. He's written a few books on it. He uh, is, is always on raw as well.com.au, uh, updating all the big rugby stories. And mm-hmm. he was with the Melbourne Rebels or in the offices of the Melbourne Rebels a lot yesterday. News coming out. They have officially entered administration and Rugby Australia cannot guarantee their future beyond this season. Good morning to you, Jeff. Thanks for getting up bright and early for us. Uh, morning, boys, and always a pleasure to chat. Jeff, uh, this has probably been no surprise. I mean, when we since we've been back this year, there have been rumblings, been stories. There were stories towards the end of last year. Um, where do things sit now? You were you were pretty close to the action yesterday. How how are they placed? The rebels and the players, the coaches, etc. Um, yeah, well, look, as you said, this has been brewing for a while, um, but. You know, probably not so much just brewing at the Rebels. It's it's an issue that uh, they've been singled out at the moment. But really, the bigger mm. story is how this is just a symptom of of the you know stress in the game here financially uh, overall. Uh, the Waratahs are pretty much in the same situation, but they had the benefit of being able just to fold over straight away, and and all their commercial operations have been taken over by Rugby Australia. That all happened before Christmas. And and the, the only real big difference there was that it was done in private. And the Rebels have had to, unfortunately, endure, have this play out in the media. And, and you know, there was... I wrote on Monday a bit of a sad story about how this was leaked and, and why it was leaked. It was sort of, uh, you know, a, a bit of a... Uh, an unfortunate situation where Rugby Australia really have, have recognised that uh, they don't have any money. Everyone's sort of been talking about that for a long time, but this is really the the living of it and the playing out of it. And so, so you know, to speed things up or to rip the Band-Aid off a bit quicker, I guess, this has been allowed to play out in public and we've got to the situation where uh, the Rebels have gone into administration uh, but like I said, it's not just about them, uh, the Brumbies. Mm. Uh, it, all, all of the the sides have the same financial equation. They just to give you a little bit of detail. They, you know, costs about twelve, thirteen million dollars to run a, a franchise. Rugby Australia's reduced the amount that they give to the clubs. It's now only three point nine million dollars a year. So, just to stay afloat or stay in the competition. They've they've got to find eight million bucks from somewhere just for you know just for a start, so it's no surprise that uh, the franchises are in a bit of stress. And with Rugby Australia saying, well, we can't continue to cover the difference, if if they don't have a wealthy benefactor or or the state government tipping in, uh, we're going to reach these uh, points like we have have now. It's pretty sad, Jeff, um, from a New Zealand point of view, because without Australia, we don't have any international competition. And it's sad to really understand how it got to this situation, mate. What is the solution for Melbourne Rebels? And I know they've been bailed out by the Victorian government in 2017. That um, they had to obviously allow the World Cup final potentially to be there, the Lions series. They're nine million dollars in debt. Like, what is the solution here? Um, yeah, well, you're right, Izzy. There's there's no easy solution. That's uh, that's mm. the first thing to say. So there are a couple of potential options, and uh, the administrator came in uh, and has addressed the the staff and the players and. 
And, yeah, I think they did a pretty good job in terms of uh, calming everybody and settling everything down. And, and uh, you know, so the, they've, they've got a trial match this weekend on Saturday against the Waratahs. So that's probably the best thing that can happen in the short term, focus everyone uh, back on the rugby. But in the long term, the administrator, uh, the, the big state government, uh, Rugby Australia, they'll sit down and... and you know, and the board members that are still involved, they'll sit down and nut, try and nut out a solution that extends beyond this year. Uh, Rugby Australia definitely want to maintain a presence in Melbourne. Um, you know, the club's doing great things. I think, you know, people saw a, a big improvement last year. I expect that that will uh, go ahead again substantially this year. The side's in a great spot. Uh, they've recruited really well, they're fitter, they're every, all those indicators uh, are good. So I think everyone wants to keep it mm. going and it's just a matter of, of you know, a, a lot of it will come back on the government and, and how what sort of deal they can put forward. They want to host the World Cup final, they're prepared to pay for that. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of money either. You know, all governments are shorter day these days. The big government's probably... Uh, you know the most indebted in Australia, but they'll they'll try and find a way to do it. But whether that's enough uh, and to set it up sustainably for the future is a different story. And and uh, well, rugby's also involved. There's been talk mm. about the possibility of shifting Moana Pacifica across to Melbourne. You know, just on the face of that, I think it's a terrible idea in terms of you know talking about a merge. You know, what what mm. would they be merging? And uh, but. You know, there may be some creative way to to furnish the solution out of that. New Zealand rugby clearly don't want to keep paying for Moana Pacifica, um, mm. so so if World Rugby is prepared to tip in and and solve two problems at once and and you know fund that, then obviously Rugby Australia is going to look closely at that option as well. Depth has probably been the big question mark over over the last couple of years. Is there an ideal solution where the Melbourne, the Rugby Australia, just wave the right white flag and say, look, it didn't work depth-wise. We've got so much talent here. Carter Gordon, you got Andrew Calloway, you just signed Matt Proctor. You've got talent that is oozing at the Melbourne Rebels to spread them out amongst the other franchises and try and sol- solely focus on your probably rugby-focused states, you know, your, your Queenslands, your New South Wales yeah, your Western Australia's. Um, could that be an ideal solution? Um, well, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I think mm. anyone that's involved in uh, Melbourne, the franchise is what thirteen years old now, and mm. and you know, so hist- by historical terms, you know, they haven't been successful, but uh, they don't have the longevity and and mm. you know the Crusaders or the the Canes do or the Blues or anything like that with their links back to the provincial. Uh, setups and all the history that's involved with that. So, and same for the Waratahs and the Reds. So, so you know, I think we're a bit quick to beat up on um, Melbourne, and I'm probably a bit defensive about that uh, living here. But yeah, you know, it just yeah. doesn't happen overnight. They do need to to get some runs on the board. And look, what makes a successful franchise isn't just the dumping in of a couple of players here or there and expecting everything to get better. It's much more than that. And, uh, you know, it's about building a culture and systems and processes that everybody understands and believes in. And, and you know, that's 
uh, it's about cohesion and teamwork index and the Crusaders have always mm. been at the top of those sorts of measurements. And, yet, you know, they just haven't bought in players willy-nilly. The way they have bought in players, it's just been to fix a particular hole or to make something a wee bit better. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just... It's just not the way you you build long-term success. And they've gone away and they've they've worked really hard over the last couple of years at looking how to do that. And uh, as I said, I think we're going to see uh, evidence of that this year. So, um, no, I think it's a bit of an easy thing to say is you just take those players out, put them on the other sides, and, and they'll all get better. Uh, we saw when the force was dropped in 2017, uh, those players... You know, half of them went overseas, the others were dispersed around the other Australian sides, and it didn't make a scrap of difference at all. Jeff, one thing I've noticed um, in, on my visits to Melbourne is rugby being invisible and, and talking to Melbournians who aren't rugby fans, a lot of them don't know the difference between rugby union and rugby league. Um, you know, I remember looking at the at the back page of the uh, the Melbourne Age and, you know, you've you got six pages of AFL, you might have one page of rugby league, you've got some motorsport, you've got some golf, you've got a lot of cricket, you've got football, you've got basketball. I don't see any rugby. How do, how do Rugby Australia, how do the Melbourne Rebels make it more visible in Melbourne? Uh, well, yeah, good question. And I think that's Part of the core problem here is that, you know, it's it's not just down to the rebels, right? The issue is the visibility of rugby as a sport and super rugby and people understanding that. And and I don't even think the issue is so much about how does how does the game attract, uh, you know, Melbourne sports fans or AFL sports fans. It's you know we saw at the Bledisloe Cup last year, eighty four thousand people. That's been sold yeah. out before. The hundred thousand people, and a lot of those are expat Kiwis um, that still support their home franchise and still support the All Blacks. A lot of them are expat South Africans or or, or Brits that that are rugby people, and they're not coming along to the Rebels game because they're not. Uh, you know the rebels haven't won enough, so that's one reason. But but they're also not engaged with Australian rugby, and and you know they see it as a bit of a back basket case. And you know one thing Super Rugby's got wrong over the years, they haven't invested. Fans are you know, through the New Zealand Union and Australian Union haven't invested in marketing and promoting a game. And I don't see that mm. that's the rebels' job. You know it's it's who's marketing rugby when. When the Hurricanes come here and Artie Sevier comes here or Bowden Barrett comes with the Blues, you know, is that the Rebels' job to tell people to come along and watch Artie Sevier and Bowden Barrett? It's it, it's it's rugby's job. And there's never been a, uh, you know, the commission's been set up now and I think they have recognised that they need to promote the game better. And I think if that had happened, uh, we'd certainly see uh, you know, a lot more visibility for the game in Melbourne. Now, having said that, uh, you know, it, 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 it's that old adage, any publicity is good publicity. Well, it's not the case here. We did have this week the Herald Sun, that uh, the main uh, most popular paper in Melbourne, uh, or last week, do a two-page spread on the Rebels, the first time they've covered them in, in God knows how long, and because it's all about the financial crisis. But we did see a nice story in the age yesterday about Rob Leota, home homegrown mm. boy, uh, growing good, and it was a nice profile on him. So uh, there are people that are prepared to help, and and the club does what it can. But 
you know, $9 million in debt, clearly they don't have a lot of money to splash around um, in the marketplace to promote the game. Jeff, sustainability of a competition is probably high on the priority list. So New Zealand and Australia are going to be in Super Rugby with an inclusion of the Pacific Islands. Well, a couple of the New Zealand teams have gone over to Japan to play in a couple of pre-season outings, which I think will be fantastic. Sold-out stadium there against the Panasonic Wild Knights. Innovation, would you like to see any inclusion from another union to be a part of Super Rugby, and what could that be? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, clearly... There's potential there in Japan. There's a lot of New Zealand uh, players, coaches, and, and been over there for a while. Now, Japan's a very difficult place to do business, and they've been working away, uh, building their own competition up, uh, the professional competition. And it's, you know, on one hand, it sort of happened by stealth, but on the other hand, everyone's known for a long time that that's, you know, going to be how it goes. Uh, so it's very frustrating, I think. Uh, for most followers here that uh, the Sunwolves uh, you know, didn't really work because it didn't fit domestically with what Japan wanted to do with their, uh, with their competition. And I think it's frustrating that it's taken Santa or Australia and New Zealand so long to, to get Japan uh, you know, closer in, in the Super Rugby level and also at the Rugby Championships level. And you know, any of us could sit down and say, well, let's put Fiji and Japan into a 16 rugby championships. Mm. It's it's an absolute no-brainer. And here we are mm. in 2024, still talking about, well, it might happen, you know, in a few years' time or something like that. So, yeah, have our administrators, um, you know, served the game in that respect as well as they, they have? I mean, we saw the expansion with Argentina, uh, as well, uh, and that sort of fizzled out. You know, the answer is, is no. You know, we haven't handled that as a game uh, mm. at that professional level as well as we should have, and 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 so everybody's still struggling. There's not enough money in the competition. Everyone wants to be as professional as as the top French clubs are, and, and but it costs money, and and the, the competition just isn't generating enough money, and this. This problem that's in Australia now with the Rebels and, and potentially with a couple of other franchises, um, you know, it isn't much of a stretch to to transpose that over to New Zealand as, as well and say the way things are headed with the amount of money in Super Rugby, unless there is a turnaround and a new commission can do something to inject a bit of um, commercial vitality back into it, um, you know, it's not much of a stretch to say, well, the same thing's going to happen there. So, so the answer, one of those potential answers, definitely, is to to tap in better to what's happening in Japan. One of the conversations I have, Jeff, or well, conversation I have all the time is the concern about the the game of rugby at the moment, and why we are losing such fanfare to other sports franchises, whatever it is. What do you pinpoint it to, mate? What do you put it down to? Why we are struggling? Why we are at the situation now? Where fans are switching off and going and watching elsewhere. Yeah, well, it's a good question, and and you, you know the first thing a lot of people say, well, is the game's a bit boring. There's too much box kicking, and mm. and you know balls not in play enough time. Now, anyone that was in. Uh, Paris watching the quarterfinals or at home watching them 
and mm. and we saw France play South Africa and New Zealand play Ireland on that weekend. And it was two of the best rugby games you'd ever want to watch. There is nothing mm. wrong with the game, uh, you know, when it's played and refereed well. And, and, you know, it was a good World Cup, and I think the game... Uh, was you know served well by that, so I don't think that's the issue that a lot of people yep. make out. I think it's just an excuse, and uh, you know. So then it comes down to again, have we marketed the game as well as we should have? And and I think you know we haven't. And and mm-hmm. we're part of it cyclical as well. We've seen the Warriors obviously uh, pick up a massive uh, you know support and and positive vibes over the last year and that's clearly going to flow again into this year and you know but that doesn't mean that rugby's in the toilet and rugby league suddenly the greatest thing that ever was as well you know a lot of people like me and, and I'm sure you guys we we want to see both sports do well and um, so uh, yeah there's just a whole lot of it it's a bit of fatigue and tiredness and staleness mm. around the competition and, and part of that is because Australia haven't served their side of the bargain and, and their sides haven't been as competitive over the last you know God knows how long now you know in terms you know they haven't seen the Blitter mm. Fly Cup for over 20 years now so people <laughs> are just going to get a bit sick of that I'm, I'm old enough to remember in the 90s when Auckland used to win uh, everything, you know, ran Furley Shield yep. era and and nobody went to Auckland and won and, and it was fun for the Aucklanders for a few years and they used to switch ends at half time and so they could be closer to all the tries and all that sort of stuff. Um, but but it wasn't fun after a while and people just started getting bored and switched off and then they stopped going. And I think, you know, there's a big element of that as well with uh, New Zealand, Australian rugby and, and Super Rugby. So, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. You're always optimistic in February, uh, you know, January, February. And I think, I do think the Australian sides are going to do better this year. Um, you know, I think coming out of a World Cup, they've had a longer prep. And uh, and I think there has been a lot of work going uh, into some of these franchises last year and over the pre-season. And I do think we are going to see uh, a, a much better competition or a much more competitive competition this season. So, you know, that's a good start. Yeah, well, I hope, I hope you're right, Jeff. I hope you're right. I mean, we have had a few texts coming in saying, you know, the Australians just have a limited player base. They could probably do with one less team to make the other teams uh, more competitive. But that's a, that's a whole other conversation. What I do want to get from you just before we let you go is how confident are you on a scale of 1 to 10 the Rebels will be running around in the 2025 Super Rugby Pacific Comp? Yeah, but... Look, I don't think anybody's confident about uh, about that. And and let me make that point. I spoke to uh, Chairman Daniel Herbert on uh, Monday, and you know they are really signalling at the moment that they can't, they don't know what it looks like for 2025. Not just for the rebels, but but for their business in total. And and the reason for that is that. They don't have a uh, a broadcast deal moving past that. They don't know what that's going to be worth. They don't know how much money they're going to be, you know, having having to use, and then how much of that will go towards sustaining the Super Rugby side. So, so they are saying that they can't guarantee the Rebels past 2024. That's true. They can't guarantee 
you know, what's happening in the whole game past 2024 at the moment. That's really the issue. Mm. And they have, and you know, they're having to work with New Zealand rugby and give assurances there. They obviously have to sell something to the broadcasters and they can't sit across the table and say, well, we don't know. So they have to figure this out sooner than later. So, mm. so it is right to say there are no guarantees for 2025, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, the next three weeks, I, I, if you don't mind giving me a rain check, I'll come back to you after that. Yeah. I think the next three the next three weeks are critical, um, you know, with the administrator and Rugby Australia. They'll be starting to form uh, some stronger opinions. Uh, you know, they need to progress the broadcast rights negotiations. And then I think, it, you know, it will gradually, a picture will appear uh, about what are the realistic options for moving forward. And as I say, they'll get a better picture from World Rugby and also the big state government. And and everyone will want to create a solution that just doesn't go through this year, that does extend past 2025. It's too big a market here, and there's been too much uh, progress made here just to, you know, to wave all that away. So mm. everyone will be doing their best, um, but... Yeah, there's definitely no guarantees at the moment. Uh, you know, you just can't invent the cash out of nothing. Mm. Uh, so, like I said, I think we'll get a, a, a better view of that over the next few weeks. Good stuff, Jeff. Really appreciate your time and getting up bright and early for us, mate. Thanks very Thanks, much. Jeff. And go well. Have a great day. Yeah, no, it's always a pleasure, guys. And uh, really looking forward to... Um, you know, to how the season rolls. And, and looking forward to seeing pictures of Manonu uh, from San Diego on a horse. Do they have good horses over there? <laughs> Boundary, mate. Boundary. It'd be a Palomino knowing, knowing Ma. Good stuff. <laughs> Jeff Parks there. You can catch his writing on theraw.com.au, author of the book, A World in Conflict, The Global Battle for Rugby Supremacy.